why is it that we as a species seem to be so fascinated with stories? Why are stories such an important part of who we are as a culture, as humans? What does it come down to? What is the ingredient? What is the main ingredient to anything we do? The thing that inspires us to pick up a pen, to heat up a pan, to pick up a camera, to turn on a light. I'm a firm believer that it's all about human connection. The inspiration that comes from two, three different human beings that get together and bring their shared experiences, bring their passions to a specific goal, to a unique goal, not only can that be the recipe for something really wonderful to see, but more importantly, that's usually the recipe for a really great experience, for something to remember that you've done at the end. <laughs> it got dark there. But at the, the point is, is that we get so obsessed with gear, technique, toys, we see something shiny, and we want to be the one that created that shiny thing. Some of us see finances or see money that is made on an idea and wish that we came up with that idea first. There's a lot of envy in our work, in our world, where people are looking at what other folks are doing on Instagram, living their best lives, right? And, and just sitting there going, why didn't I do that? Why can't I do that? It's interesting, right? What I love to try to figure out is why I've decided to do this thing. Why I have decided to make my life very difficult. Make it hard for me to have any sort of sustainability, stability in my life, right? What is it that I'm obsessed with? And the longer I do this, the more time I spend in, the more life experiences I have, I realize that it's all about connection. Connection. And today's show, we're going to talk about connection. We're going to talk about finding your muse. And we're going to talk about the interesting blend of technology and science and emotion that when done right is the perfect storm for something really special. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're listening to In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Welcome to my podcast. This is my show. Come on in, have a seat. Relax. It's, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I've already recorded this and uh, I'm in a great mood because I had a really great interview and then jumped off that interview and did a really great general meeting. So for those of you who don't work in the business, oftentimes we are asked by production companies or studios to come in for a general meeting because people want to meet us. They want to understand how we do our work. They want to potentially work together on something. And one of the benefits of 12Cam going viral is that it was able to reach a lot of interesting people. I don't know if I should technically say who I met with today, but let's just say that the guy who owns this company does some pretty big movies. He's kind of a big dude in general, like a big guy, you know? He's like 
unmovable, kind of like a, you know, like a, like a mountain or rock. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was a great general meeting. I had a lot of fun talking with these folks, these executives, these marketing people. Um, they're big fans of what uh, was done with 12KM and they're big fans of the movie. And maybe we can work together. And it's meetings like that, that, that really keep the inspiration alive for me, keep the motivation alive for me to try to figure out whatever the fuck this Hollywood system is, right? Because they're few and far between. Most of the time, they're very sort of clinical and cynical. And today's meeting was really great. It was full of admiration and it was full of respect and it was full of fun. Uh, and maybe that will lead to something cool. Cross your fucking fingers, man, because maybe it will. So when I interviewed my two guests today, I could have gone on for another two hours. And if it feels like I cut it off short, it was just because I was running up against a time frame in which I had to bail. And once again, if you guys are listening, uh, my two guests on the show, uh, I apologize for jumping off quickly. We'll probably have you guys back on to continue because you're going to find this conversation to be fascinating. Now, I know if you looked at the thumbnails for the show, you kind of have an idea what it's about. Every once in a while, I'll do shows on photography. It's been a little while since I've done one. <clears throat> they are very successful. I know that there's a lot of young photographers that listen to our podcast. And uh, a lot of photographers follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or the podcast at Love of the Process Pod on Instagram. Sick. I slid those right in there. <coughs> Sorry, I'm choking here. <clears throat> so, um, yes, if you look at the thumbnails, if you look at my posts for today's episode, I'm sure you were pulled in because it's a very interesting sort of technical thing that we're going to talk about on the show. I am speaking with photographer Eric Paré, and I was very happy to also get his, well, I'm going to call her his muse. I think they would agree with that. Um, dancer Kim Henry is also on the show. She is the subject for so many of his pieces, um, and the two of them have been working together, and they have been romantically creating these really stunning uh, magnificent images stuff that is very much uh, inspiring to, to people that watch it they create amazing behind-the-scenes videos that really bring you into their process uh, they're exciting to see so that's why they're on today's show so both Eric and Kim join me uh, from Montreal there are a couple moments during the interview. Let me just do some housekeeping here. There's a couple moments during the interview where there is a slight pause and there is a delay. I, I, I'm, I'm always like, do I pull that stuff out? I'm going to leave it in because it just helps build the vibe for the piece. Uh, it's just because of the fucking internet, right? When you're doing interviews over the internet, sometimes there's a bit of a pause. Sometimes there's a bit of a delay. Um, and oftentimes we have uh, slight communication barrier based upon language, but it works out really great. I think it's a cool interview. Um, and I really enjoy what these two are doing. I really am fascinated with how Eric has essentially, I don't, I don't want to say he stumbled into this because it was very intentional on his part, um, but he really went hard into what you call the bullet time uh, effect. Now, the bullet time effect, to sort of break it down for you, it's essentially uh, a round setup of multiple cameras. So multiple still cameras, you know, could be anywhere up to like 150, sometimes more still cameras that are, are put on a rig around a subject. Okay. And so 
what happens here is when you shoot all those cameras simultaneously, let's say that you get a dancer like he does, uh, he gets Kim to do uh, a jump in the air, like some sort of really interesting dance move. Maybe they jettison some smoke and they uh, instantly trigger all the cameras at the same time. So there could be like a, a horseshoe shape or even a full circle around her of all these cameras that are going to snap a still frame at the exact same moment, right? So what that does is that you can take all those images, those 150 images or whatever it is, uh, understanding that most cinema is played at 24 frames per second, right? So you can then take maybe two or three seconds but with all those different images, because each one of those cameras is shooting a frame. And you can move, if you cut them all together, you can move in a circular motion around somebody that is frozen in time, frozen in the air, right? That's how they did bullet time. So it's essentially the bullet time stuff from the Matrix. So when Neo falls backwards and the camera rotates around him as he's backwards and he's leaning back, that was all shot with still cameras. Or if Trinity jumps into the air, they freeze just before she kicks the guy and the cameras rotate around. So it's almost like they somehow stopped time and they were still able to dolly move around that person. That's bullet time. It's pretty cool stuff. It's a really cool technique. I forget the name of the special effects supervisor that devised it. You should go back, if you can find it on YouTube, watch the behind the scenes videos on that stuff. And it's really interesting to see uh, the special effects people designing that and actually coming up with that technique, which is super fucking rad. So Eric sort of leans heavily into this and he uses a mix of that technique and the technique of light painting. Now we talk about it on the show. I have him describe it on the show, but for those of you who don't know, the process of light painting is rather simple. It's very simplistic, and it actually goes back to the origins of photography. Back in the day when you would just open up the gate, you would open up the pathway from the lens to film, and you would literally pull a slider out and expose it, and then drop a slider back down. Now, if you're shooting in a very dark space, like a completely blacked out space, you can leave that shutter open for a longer period of time and it'll take longer for that image to burn into film or to digitally burn into a chip, right? Because there isn't enough light to be captured. So if you're in a completely dark space, you can leave it open for uh, multiple seconds, right? I don't know the specifics, but multiple seconds. And in that time, you can walk around with a light, a flashlight, a tube, a KinoFlow tube, um, and paint in the subject, which is super cool, just by waving the light around the person. Because everywhere that the light touches, that then becomes exposed, which is really rad. It's a fun technique. He combines that technique with the bullet time technique, and he gets some amazing results, technically. So if you guys want to check this out, I highly suggest you're at ericparay.com or at his Instagram, which is Eric Perret Photo, now while we're talking about the show, while you're listening to the show, because it's going to be really important for you to see this imagery as we talk about it. I feel that way, okay? Now, the show is not gonna get nerdy. 
right? We're not going to get into the techniques, like how long is the shutter open for? Like, what is the output on the light? Is your, who gives a fuck about that stuff? That's stuff that you can figure out on your own through trial and error. The stuff that I want to talk about on today's show is the magic between the magic between two individuals. The thing that we all need as a photographer, as a creator, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, we need something in front of that camera that is worth looking at. We need somebody that is going to give us all of themselves for the work. That's what's interesting about today's show. I'm talking about finding your muse, and I'm talking about the importance of that. And so we, we start to tackle it pretty hard with Eric and Kim on today's episode. Uh, but yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. How are you? What else is going on? How's life? We're pushing into January. This, uh, I think this will release before the end of January. Bunch of stuff going on on our end, heavy into post-production. I've been editing stuff from B. Miller and Gina. That stuff's been fun. We've been releasing the content. Uh, I'm still editing the movie that I shot. And uh, Will and I are deep into development on a few new pieces at the same time. So busy, busy, busy. And it feels good to be busy. Um, and uh, yeah, man, it fucking, has it finally stopped raining? Because I'm recording this on the 10th and it has been pissing rain. It has been epically like fucking Noah's Ark amounts of rain out here in Los Angeles. It's insane, the amount of rain. And we're going to continue to get it. It's supposed to rain through the 19th. It's nuts, man. The perfect culmination of whatever global warming storms that we're dealing with right now has really changed the landscape of Los Angeles. It's really fucking green right now. It's nuts, man. Cool stuff. Crazy shit. Um, but anyway, I digress. There's so much to talk about. I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the show. Let's not delay it any further. Strap yourselves in and get ready. Grab a beer, grab a seat, and hang out with Eric, Kim, and I on the brand new episode of The Love of the Process. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Good to talk to you. We're doing great. <laughs> it sounds like you guys, I was saying this before we started recording. You guys are very cheery. You guys have been awake a lot longer than I have this morning. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know that? It, it's 1230. We might just wake up a few <laughs> minutes ago just for this. We set the alarm clock to uh, 1145 for the podcast. At no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> 
a lot of things have been done this morning. <laughs> well, you never know. You guys, you know, you you are artists. You are photographers. Maybe you don't get up until one in the morning, one in the afternoon. There are a lot of if you live out here in Los Angeles, that seems to be the the rule of thumb. You don't start working till mid afternoon, and then you don't work. <laughs> you only work for about two hours a day. That's pretty much what we do. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, no, right. Well, we have a we have a very different schedule depending on if we are like on the road uh, creating outdoors or if we are in Montreal um, working in studio and stuff. So we we go to bed much earlier when we're in town. Well, whatever you guys do, it, you seem like you do it correctly. Um, for those of you listening, uh, I highly suggest while we're talking today, while the three of us are all communicating, you f- listeners at home should go to ericparay.com and just go through the images so that you've got your head in the right space as we talk about uh, how you guys capture this magical... It, it, what is interesting about your work is it's this blend of magic and science, which I think is really, really fucking cool. And, uh, oh, science. Okay, okay. That's a first. I never had that word attached to my work before. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Can, can we co- quote you on the website? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay, good. And why not, man? I mean, it's what you do is incredibly technical. Like most people, when they set up a camera to do a shoot, maybe there's a camera, maybe there's a second shooter. You've got like 85 rigs going at the same time. So come on, man. That's, there's got to be some some technical science involved with that. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, actually, it's, it's easier for me to work uh, with 176 cameras than to work with just one because I operate the single camera when we're out in the field or when we're in the studio. I have a team that set up the whole thing and then I, I just go in and start shooting. <laughs> well, that's cool. It's the science of managing a team of people. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, well, let's, um, let's start, let's start at the beginning here, right? Um, so Eric, why photography, man? There's, there's, there's a thousand different art mediums to be able to tell a story. Why'd you get lost in photography? I'm sending you back the question before I answer, because you also do photography. Uh I know that. Uh Uh-huh. I have, I have. Yes, that's true. That's true. So what are you deflecting my my questions? Yeah, I am. (laughs) We're off for a good start. (laughs) Is this how it's going to be a conflict episode? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm curious to to hear because it's not your main thing, but you do photography. Uh, How often and why? Um, well, when I started, um, and this is why the audience is tuning in to hear me talk about my fucking life again. But when I, (laughs) when I started, uh, as a young filmmaker, um, this was back in the days, uh, before digital video was around. Um, I was too young and too inexperienced to convince old crotchety cinematographers that shot 35 millimeter to come hang out and do my little personal projects. So I had to teach myself how to shoot. And the most effective, uh, inexpensive way to teach yourself how to shoot film is to do stills. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I started. I learned, I taught myself apertures. I taught myself, you know, lens, focal lengths. I taught myself framing, all that kind of stuff. And as a byproduct of my research, I ended up having a career as a photographer and getting hired as a photographer, which was a cool little parallel that was running between me being a filmmaker and me being a photographer at the same time. 
So that's why I got it. Yeah, and your your photo looks like they've been taken on set on on film set. That's There's cool. a cinematographic feeling, and yeah, really enjoy looking at this work. It's so different from uh, from what we do here. It feels like you you've been around for a while. Uh, <laughs> you have over like twenty years of experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. One day you sort of look around and you go. How long have I been? It's usually when you're talking to someone and they go, how long have you been doing this? You're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I started a while ago uh, doing photography while, while traveling. I was really into bird photography <laughs> when okay. I was in my 20s. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And at some point, I uh, had a friend in an agency and he asked me to come shoot a professional gig. So I bought my first cheap DSLR, mm -hmm. Canon Canon 350D, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the cheapest thing you can imagine. And I nailed it right on the first gig and kind of love it. Uh, and I did that for two years. But um, even though I wanted to be a photographer, I felt like uh, I was not bringing anything new. I was just doing commercial work and it was not giving me enough liberty yeah. to, to do that kind of photography because I had to uh, to go on 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 on, like on location at specific places at specific time, I was more used to uh, be on my own because I'm I'm a programmer. That's my uh, that was my main work back then, oh. working on my own. But from anywhere, uh, I was able to work on a laptop and being very free. And photography was not giving me that at all uh, at that time. And so I kind of stopped for a while and then got a call to do a project involving 24 cameras and programming. So it was kind of mixing my skills for photography and coding mm -hmm. and it was great. Uh, it was very stressful, but it was the beginning of, of something way bigger for me because there are not a lot of people doing that, you know, photography uh, with using multiple cameras. Yeah. And I got really hooked. So I did live gigs for a year, going on tour with a bunch of cameras, uh, doing tailgates, uh, festivals. Oh, wow. It was fun, but not creative at all, just fun time. Yeah. But then I was like, there must be something, something more artistic that we could do with this and... And that was 10 years ago, so there was no one really pushing, making art with multiple cameras. And I had this super tiny studio and I was like, okay, let's see at first if it fits. I was not even sure. Yeah. Is, can we fit the rig inside this tiny studio? And yes, <laughs> barely fit. And, and then I spent months exploring different styles, learning light painting, because I had no interest to light painting prior to that. So my work became 360 degree light painting for, for a while. It was super interesting, uh, working with a lot of people, a lot of dancers, just exploring. And my first, uh, first goal, like to make a living out of that was to, to launch my first viral my first video that would be viral so I could get gigs with brands or with agencies. 
And mm-hmm. I got that. Uh, it took me a few months. So I was not releasing anything. I waited just to have a very polished final video. I launched that and it went viral. So, <laughs> and my plan worked. So this is how I have been doing business uh, since uh, <laughs> over 10 years now. I make a personal project, hoping it would get seen by a lot of people. And then the phone is ringing. Yeah. Super yeah. simple formula. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that allowed me to, to grow from uh, 20 something cameras to uh, 400 now. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff to cover in here and we'll get into a lot of these details because I have a lot of questions as we push our way through. The first one before we move on. So you said you started as a programmer. What kind of stuff were you programming before you got into the photography? Uh, mostly uh, websites with databases. So I was building things like WordPress back in the days. Before WordPress was a thing, I was making my own content management system. And it's still working today. I sold the company, but it's still uh, up and running. Uh, a bunch of websites are running on that. It's it's bilingual. That was my advantage back then because here mm-hmm. in, in Quebec, uh, it's all French and English. Mm-hmm. So I built I built it uh, bilingual. I mean, multilingual. Uh, right at the beginning, and that it was uh, I've been living on that for probably ten years uh, before going full time with photography. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems to, to be more precise, uh, C sharp, SQL, JavaScript, mm-hmm. HTML. Okay. All right, cool. So <clears throat> that makes sense, right? So that makes sense how, uh, the blending of these two worlds happened pretty early on for you. And, um, it's also, uh, interesting. We'll get into the viral aspect because you talk about like planning to go viral. A lot of people plan to go viral and they just don't go viral, but what you're doing is, um, so interesting to look at it's such a technical feat and it's a feat that most people can't do so it puts you in sort of like a special category so i understand uh the why your chances were so much stronger going viral when you sort of released this stuff which is interesting um oh yeah and there, there's a formula and i, I can uh, i can elaborate on that uh, i'm sure you already know that because you you had the well, I, I, what I know from you is that you have one short film that went viral. Yes. Uh, did you have any other things prior to that? Um, we've had a couple of smaller things here and there, but uh, the, the the short film, it's the most recent and it's the, it's ridiculously viral. So <laughs> it's probably the largest viral thing. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's get into that stuff. But like, uh, Kim, how did you come into the, how did you guys meet? How, what was the, what was the catalyst for you guys getting together? Yeah, um, well, I'm a performer, mainly like trained in dance and physical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, for that specific project that Eric is talking about, he was looking for dancers um, because as he was doing long exposure photography, he needed like very, like I'll say, strong um, people with uh, some. She's very strong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, people that could stand still without moving and, and also like bring in an artistic aspect to, sure. um, you know, to, to the performance in stillness. So I think he saw my, he basically saw some pictures of me um, from performances on, on the website that is uh, kind of a, the union of dancers uh, from Quebec, which is where we live. So, and he contacted me out of nowhere uh, through 
uh, probably email, Facebook. Email. I don't know. Um, <laughs> just asking like, hey, I have this fun project. Uh, here are some examples. Would you like to join uh, for an hour? So I said, yes, of course, because uh, it was something I've never seen before. Yes. Um, like the, the kind of visual. And so I was very intrigued. And, um, and I went there for about an hour. We didn't talk. He, he explained to me like what we were doing, which at the time was... Um, stop motion sequence, uh, like a bunch of long exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we did shoot for about an hour and that was it for, for about a year. Um, I really enjoyed the process. It was in line with, um, my, I'll say like personal fascinations, um, as a dancer, um, like, uh, it required a lot of precision, but also uh, uh, a lot of uh, embodiment, presence, like some subtle things that uh, I do enjoy as a performer. Um, so that, that was it. And actually the, the project took off. And, and she became the face of the project. She became the reference for all other dancers that I worked with because she was so precise. She had a way to uh, really make things more special. And even though I was showing this to other dancers, it was hard to get that uh, that, that quality, this, the really tiny details that she was bringing. And yeah. as I started to do... Uh, around with film festivals because I submitted that short film to uh, uh, many uh, film festivals and went quite well and she she was the face of the project because uh, I I extracted some stills from the the shooting and everywhere I was going <laughs> she was with me with that picture and but we didn't talk for a year and mm-hmm. yeah can continue uh, yeah so <laughs> so a year after uh, Eric contacted me back to say like uh I'm back in town with, and would you like to go back in studio and explore more? And, and we never stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. Well, so why did you, why dancing for you? How'd you get into dancing? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, I guess I've always been fascinated by movement I've always been very active. Um, so I was always attracted by really high intensity uh, sports. I was doing gymnastics, which requires a lot of body control, repetition, discipline, but also like that allows you to do things that are not really normal for a human being, like jumping yeah. around and backflips and stuff and kind of almost, um, playing with the laws of gravity and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed that kind of the, the flow state that was uh, coming with those um, high physical activity. Right. Right. And then then I I went into dance. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, there's so much, sorry if I jump in here, but there's so much precision involved. Yeah. I I, I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I've never been a physical person kind of person so i've never been someone that like the idea of like you know jumping off a balance beam and doing a backflip i just imagine myself cracking my skull again and falling on the ground so (laughs) um the but what i find fascinating as a photographer which i'm sure is what eric finds fascinating about it is sort of capturing obsession and capturing energy 
And it's quite obvious that you have spent years and years being incredibly precise and having an understanding of how uh, your muscles look. And, and so there, there has to be some sort of uh, obsession that you have with this that, that is causing this because of the precision is so precise that you're doing here. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I would add like a few uh, a few podcasts ago, you, you were mentioning how you are you are fascinated about um, like the body language of the characters mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in movies, and and for me, it's it's that also because I feel like movement before any other type of language, it's like the most primitive mm. um, language that we have, and the our bodies are what we are actually. Um, how we get into contact with the world around us and to others through our senses. So there's like, it's very rudimentary, I would say, as a tool to, to um, like, art, for us, arti artistic expression, sorry. Yeah. But I feel like there's so much to explore and, um, yeah, through just the, the body and the movement art. Well, I mean, it, it is rudimentary, but it is so... It is so poignant and it's so successful, right? There's, there's something to be said. I mean, I did a movie in a language I don't speak and it was all body language. And so you can tell a story with just somebody's hand and how mm -hmm. it, it, like the human mind is so perceptive to these subtleties that uh, we would really sort of take for granted and subtleties that may not be sexy to talk about you know it may not be the type of thing where it's just like hey i'm going to tell the story with my fingers and everybody's like oh big deal but what, <laughs> what it does is it, it it triggers this human fight or flight defense mechanism in most folks that we all use no one really wants to address it because we're in a time period where you're not supposed to be judging folks but we do and when we see someone walking down the street we see someone moving a specific way we see their energy in their muscles. This is, it's very animalistic on us, the way that we mm -hmm. observe these things. And I find that fascinating that you do that as an artist, that you're examining that stuff and you're obsessed with that stuff. Because um, as a filmmaker, I, I would be hyper-focused on that. I'd be hyper-focused on movement. But then it's, you know, a thousand times more when you're a photographer because you're capturing a single fucking frame, a nanosecond of movement here, and to have someone that is so precise, uh, I mean, Eric, you could jump in here. To have someone that is that precise must be a blessing, like, <laughs> because well, you but, could but dial here's it in. The fun, yeah, here's the fun part uh, about, uh, about this thing that we're doing here. So I got a bit bored of doing photography because I felt like I was not bringing anything new. Mm. But at some point, I went away from being behind the camera. I'm really behind the camera now. I'm with Kim. In most of our work, I'm with Kim and you don't see me. So I craft the light by hand. So right. I'm behind her, I'm around her. And there is this performance aspect like I'm joining Kim in this performance and I'm part of the image, even if you don't see me. It's very active. I, I feel like I'm cheating because I, I feel like I found the best way, the most interesting way of performing photography. 
Yeah. And well, I'm sharing that. I hope, I hope to, to have a, like to, to see more and more people doing this. Well, the, I, I, there's a lot of folks that are listening to the show that probably aren't aware of what light painting is. Why don't you describe light painting for our audience so they know? Yeah. So I put my camera on the tripod. I have a wireless remote in my left hand and a, and a light in my right hand. Usually it's a long four feet light painting tube. It's just a plastic tube and I put a flashlight inside of it. So then I go behind Kim and I trace the light. So I'm going to do a circle, some waves behind her. And I'm never using uh, another source of light. So I'm not using any flash. I'm not, uh, I'm not putting light in front of her uh, with a different source of light. It's always the same tool that I have in my hand that, is going, that I'm going to use to create that beautiful trace, to light up her body, and to create the light on the foreground, sometimes the little bit of the background too. It's very satisfying. And I keep saying that the only source of light is the one in my hand. So if you look at all of my images, it's always the same. I crap the light using my, my super long light painting tubes. Mm -hmm. That's part of the final image. So I, I do a bunch of those and then I go back behind the camera and I, I see how much I failed, how much I succeeded. But most are fails, but if we have one during the night, we're happy. Yeah, and, and, and to break it down even simpler for folks, if you're doing it with one camera, if you use a, a camera that you're in an incredibly dark space, so there's no light in the space, you can leave the shutter open on a camera and you can actually drag, if it was just a still image, you could drag a light around a subject type. You've seen people do this with cars, you've seen people do this with different um larger objects so they can actually drag a small source around and as they do it the light will be painted into the exposure so you can actually paint a subject it's a cool trick it's a really cool technique and you've sort of taken it to the next level uh with the motion and sort of incorporating yourself i'm staring at a piece right now that's beautiful it's sort of like the cyclone of light that circles around um kim and then you can actually as the camera sort of rotate you can actually see your your uh, silhouetted figure, like sort of this dark figure, like ghost-like figure that's around her. It's really gorgeous, man. Like the the combination of that stuff makes it fascinating to watch and look at. Um, so it's a it's a cool photo science technique that I feel like you've taken to the extreme, which is really awesome, man. Really cool. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so, all right. I don't want to get too nerdy because. <laughs> Who cares? People can figure out how to be nerdy about this stuff. I think that the, the thing that's fascinating here is what we were just starting to touch base with. It's this connection that happens. And um, as an artist, as a photographer, especially as a young photographer, we get hyper lost in, and I know this with a lot of photographers because I've talked with them, um, you get hyper lost in the technique, right? You're trying to teach yourself how to use a camera. You've seen other artists do a specific technique, so you're trying to replicate those techniques. And I found, personally, it gets very lonely it, when if you're just doing tech stuff and you're just trying to teach yourself this tech stuff. And my career didn't change until I found a muse. And it seems like that's what happened with you two, right? Would you say, Eric, that you found a muse in Kim? I don't think of it like that. 
because before she came into this, I was already on on a roll with this, and because I I would be at a different place for sure. Kim is the person who guided me to stay on the right track from an artistic point of view. Mm-hmm. For the technique itself, I was so obsessed with this technique that I couldn't do anything else. And, you know, light painting is can be anything. It can be very cheap. It can be beautiful. But if I'm doing it the way I do it now, it's because I kept doing it every day. And that's I think that's one of the tricks for for. Like when you can find your own voice, you're, there's a satisfaction that comes with that. There's, there's nothing else like this. And it's so satisfying to just really craft your own thing. But that doesn't happen in one day. Yeah, I felt I had something, but it took me months of doing it every day. And even then, it was still just... The, small beginning of, of something but now 10 years later like i've went out uh, hundreds and hundreds of times so, so now it's clear it's clear that it was a good thing that i continued i remember like I, after i posted one of those pictures after our third session a guy commented commented on instagram he said oh, is it the only thing you're able to do move on to something else and i was <laughs> looking at his feed and he, like his work was all around and if you find satisfaction on that, that's cool too. But for me, like you really have to insist on something to go somewhere, to go to uh, to a place that your work is going to be recognized for for your style. Kim, I'm going to let you uh, jump on that uh, about the muse thing. I'm sure you have better way a better way to say it. Um, well, well, hold on, hold well, on, hold on, one second uh, before you ahead. do, because I want to hear that, Kim. You make a really good point there, Eric, and that guy that said that to you. What that is, is insecurity. So what that person is saying to you is, why don't you try other things? He's trying to validate what he's doing, which is Mm -hmm. all over the place, sort of trying to discover his voice with stuff. But what he doesn't realize, and what a lot of photographers don't realize, and whenever I look at someone's portfolio, I tell them this, you should be hyper-focused on what it is that you're doing and promoting what it is that you're doing right now, because the people that hire you, the folks, the creative directors out there, the clients that hire you, they don't look, they don't want someone that does everything in the world. They're hyper-focused because they have clients coming to them saying, hey, we need someone to shoot red sneakers. And so they go, all right, let's go on the internet. And they shop through the Walmart of photographers that they can go find. And they go down a specific aisle and they go, this guy does red sneakers. So if you're hyper-focused on your craft, and if it's something that's very special and very emotional and also getting attention from people, then your chances of getting work as a photographer are much higher than if you have an eclectic, uh, all over the place uh, page of photography that just seems unfocused. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah, yeah, and that didn't change the the way I was envisioning the future when he said that. But that made me realize that okay, maybe that's why. Some people are not able to reach their their goals. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's a part of it uh, when you don't focus on one thing. When you try everything, it's, it's great. But at some point, 
I don't know, maybe I had it easy because it was so clear for me when I found out this technique that that was the, the thing and I really had to push on that, on that specific thing. Yeah, and I feel like like anything, it's when you think you got it, when you think you are kind of mastering something, there's always a deeper level of understanding of mastering. There's always some breakthrough that you can have mm. while you are insisting on this Uh, be it a, a technique or an idea of, or a concept that instead of, yeah, just jumping from one thing to the next, um, because it's maybe more scary to do so, like to really like, um, um, what's the word? Like to, uh, to not devote, but to commit to a choice yes. and to like really dig into this direction. So I, I think this, This requires more investment from yourself, um, which can be uh, not comfortable. Okay, it is time to take a quick break and uh, let's get tacky, right? No, so many of you are here because of the technical stuff and you're always asking me, what gear are you using? What technology do you have? How did you shoot that fucking thing? What lenses did you use for that? I don't know how many times I get these questions. How did you color grade that thing? You guys are all fascinated with how things are technically done. Don't get lost in that though, right? That could be a crutch. You should also be asking questions on like, How did you meet that person? And where did you find that model? You know what I mean? Those are more important. But if you want to get nerdy, now's the time to do it. I want to talk to you about stuff that I use, about relationships that I have with people that make things, tools that work for me, not me working for tools. I'm not subscribing to things that I have to continue to pay for. This is very specific stuff that I use every day. And these people care about creators. That's why they're sponsoring the show. That's why I'm talking about them, all right? So many of you photographers are out there are asking, Mike, what are you shooting photographs with? What is Gina using? We're using Fujifilm. Right now, we love it. We love everything about Fujifilm. It took us a while to figure out what it is that we wanted to shoot with. And we went to Fujifilm for a lot of different reasons. One, I like the low light sensitivity of all their cameras. I think they're phenomenal. Two, I like the way their cameras feel in my hands, right? When I pick it up, I feel like I'm actually using a camera. That's why I don't shoot with my fucking phone. When you shoot with your phone, you're using the same tool that you just got into a fight with your girlfriend on, right? How do I, how do I create with the same tool? Like while I'm framing something up, I'm going to get some nasty text that fucking shows up from the top, right? Why would you use that? Do I want to use a paintbrush that also rings as a telephone? No, man. I want to pick up a tool that inspires me and more powerful than how these tools work, a more powerful thing than like how sensitive they are to low light, whether or not the autofocus is the best in the marketplace. The most important thing is whether or not when you touch that tool, it inspires you. It changes your thought process. That's what I like about Fujifilm. 100% what I like about Fujifilm. So what am I shooting with? Well, The camera that I picked, I wanted a camera that I shoot great stills, right? That's a great camera, small package that I can have 
throw it over my shoulder. I've got like a journal, like journalist bag, which I love soft bag, toss it over my shoulder. If I'm going to run around and do some shots, um, the lenses that I have are really small and contained, which I love. Um, but I also want a rig. That's a good second shooter, right? You need tools to do multiple things for you, right? And so Fujifilm's X-H2S is the camera for me. Not only does it take amazing photographs, but it's video and filmmaking capabilities are amazing amazing it's one of the few dslrs on the marketplace that has long running time so if you're filming a podcast if you're filming uh, an interview uh with the, in the past if you're using dslrs they would only run for about 15 minutes before you would have to cut the take right that's useless this camera has long running time that's big that's a big improvement over other ones and then if you're shooting yourself, let's say that you're filming yourself, you're doing content for YouTube, you can flip the screen around and it has really great subject detection autofocus, like amazing autofocus, like scary shit, you know, like Skynet autofocus. <laughs> and it works really fucking well. I love this rig. Uh, I'm shooting uh, 4K. You can shoot up to 120p 4K, which is great. Um, I, I'm recording in Apple ProRes, which is so great because it works for my top, my workflow. Um, and then I love their internal LUTs. I call them LUTs. They don't call them LUTs, but let's call them LUTs, right? Their lookup tables. The uh, film emulsion uh, replication that you can apply to your photos and your video. So let's say that you wanted it to look like traditional Fujifilm 35 millimeter film. They have that look in there. If you want a really beautiful black and white, they have all sorts of different options with red filters and green filters. It's really fucking cool, man. It's an inspiring camera to use. And I've said this on recent episodes. One of my favorite things to do as a creator when it comes to making movies or shooting photos is being the person that looks down the barrel, right? Looks through the viewfinder. And when you have a color and a look on it, the world looks different. Not only does it look different because of the lens you're shooting with, it also looks different because of how it's being processed. And then you can manipulate the world based upon that processing. It's really fucking cool. I can't say enough great things about Fujifilm. Go check out their X-H2S. Do it now. It is going to make your life exciting. I'm telling you. Um, and use the links in the description of our episode. We have links to some of their refurbished gear. So maybe you've been drooling over this camera, but it's a little pricey for you. Check out their refurbished stuff. You'll find the link in the uh, description of this episode. See, they're always putting things up there. See, maybe that camera body's up there a lot cheaper right now. You never know. Always check the links. See what's going on in the description of today's episode. Also supporting the show are friends over at Boca Rentals. If you are in Los Angeles and you want to get some of the best lenses in the market world, right? In the marketplace right now. So the lenses that are being used to shoot all your favorite movies, all your favorite series on, on television. Uh, this is how I found these guys. I was on the hunt for amazing anamorphics and really, really beautiful vintage spherical lenses. And I found Boca Rentals. I love these guys. I've been talking with Kyle, who is the head over there, and I love his philosophy. I love the fact that these guys understand about creating relationships with younger filmmakers, filmmakers that have trouble getting access to things, disadvantaged filmmakers. These guys are there helping them. 
They run workshops. Their boy Matthew there does some amazing workshops. Um, it is a great resource for you. And even if you're not in Los Angeles, definitely check out their Instagram because they will post at Boca Rentals. They will post side-by-side -side comparisons of the lenses that they have in stock and the content that was shot with them, which is very helpful when you're trying to pick the right lenses for the right gig. Very helpful. These guys are one-stop premium full service uh, resource specialists located in the heart of Los Angeles. It is a one-stop shop for anything you need. It is the home of Snorricam. It is the only vendor west of Texas to carry this famous rig. Um, and these guys are constantly adjusting and changing the cinema landscape by driving accessibility to high-end cinema gear previously not available to every filmmaker. So, hells yes. These guys are, their, their mission is to inspire a new generation of filmmakers. So, definitely go check out Boca Rentals. Go to bocarentals.com and see what the fuck I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Um, okay, the big boys that support us always. And let's say that you are trying to do one of these bullet time things. Maybe you're trying to stitch together... 150 fucking images and you want to be able to import all those images and play them back into your timeline without any delay without any pause and let's be real these still dslr cameras are shooting very large images oftentimes up to 8k right and you want to keep that resolution you need a fucking powerful computer for that right you need a beefy computer and wouldn't you want to buy a computer that can be upgraded and not a machine that you're gonna to have to just throw away in two years right I felt that way. That's why I jumped ship from Apple. Fuck those guys. <laughs> I shouldn't say that in an ad read. But seriously, I don't like the way they run their business. I don't like the, I have to be a slave to your subscriptions. I don't like the, uh, I'm going to release a software update and suddenly my entire hardware setup is rendered useless. And now I have to go become indebted to you once again. Go spend another $13,000, $15,000 on a system to just do the same fucking thing it was doing prior to the software update. That's why I jumped ship. And I'm like, look, I'm going to build computers that I want to have work for me. Now, I've had a history as a kid building PCs and gaming computers, but I was also running a business at the same time. And I'm like, I don't want to be tech support for everybody. I don't want to be the guy that, that, that has to answer for how these things are put together. I want to find a company that'll build me the custom PCs that I need that work for me and that will still stand behind their product and give me solid human being interaction customer support. That's how I found Puget Systems. They are the best place to go. The best place to go if you're building a new computer. I don't care what you're using it for. If you're using it to do uh, still processing and video editing, CAD drawing, if you're using it for VR production, uh, if you own a post-production facility, and let's say that you need to have a bunch of beefy new machines to run the newest stuff on the marketplace, right? Is everybody using Resolve now? Believe it or not, the machines are tweaked slightly differently for software. So you can buy a machine that generally works well for everything, but wouldn't you want to talk to the professionals, the people that have been benchmarking, benchmark testing all the hardware out there? They know what setup works the best for each one of these software platforms they often know like hey don't waste your money on that new graphics card it's really not giving you anything take that money and put it into something else these guys are the shit. go to pugetsystems.com check them out talk to them get a consultation 
Uh, if you're trying to build your own PC, they're a great resource for you there. These guys love the community. They love creators. I cannot say enough great things about Puget Systems. So go to PugetSystems.com right now and check them out. Follow them on Instagram at Puget Systems as well. They look nerdy at the surface, but underneath, they're all a bunch of really fun creatives and dudes that I like to have beers with. So Puget Systems, I bet you they love that. <laughs> I put that on, tag on the ad read. Um, but uh, to wrap up the ad reads, I would also say this. If you're a newcomer to the show, right? And you're looking at the daunting list of uh, episodes. You're like, Jesus, there's like 250 of these fucking things. Do I go all the way back to number one? Yeah, you probably should. But you can also go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated the episodes based upon subject material there. So if you want more episodes on photographers, I've got some great ones. I've got a whole series of episodes uh, that were sponsored by Fuji. So we have the Fujifilm Creator Series. I talked to David James one of the most famous, infamous photographers, on-set photographers. This guy has shot photos that have been used for some of the biggest movie per movie posters that you've ever seen. And his two-part special that we do is epic. It's epic. Talks about working with Spielberg. It's epic. You can find all of that stuff at unlovetheprocess.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation, shall we? big issue that I've always had is time and I've always been afraid of time and it's like mm -hmm. oh fuck because I do a hundred different things like I'm hyper focused on like I for a while I was hyper focused on being a photographer and then I was also hyper focused on being a cinematographer and then I'm hyper focused on being a director and you're just like I just don't have when you do that many things you just don't have enough fucking so time becomes an issue because you need to be able to clock you know the 10,000 hours to become a professional at any specific thing like if you want to you can be good at stuff but if you want to be the leader of that thing if you want to be someone that's innovating something then you really need to to dedicate time to doing it it's like i i i can't pick up a guitar and learn how to play a guitar right now i just don't have the fucking time to do it. <laughs> so like <Yeah. laughs> you, you you really 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 it, if you find something that feels special and it sounds like you did, Eric, it, it sounds like you found something that was like this really interesting blend of your, of your, what were your passions and obsessions, which is programming and, and filming and, 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 uh, bringing the, the technical into the art. And then even light painting, uh, is a bit technical, but then it becomes performative. And then it seems like, you know, when you're working with folks like Kim, now it's less about the technical it's more about the movement it's more about the blending of the two and the, the uh the com the combining of the motion of the two folks which i think i could easily see why that would become a, a simple thing to be obsessed with because it's very organic at a certain point which i'm sure there's a lot of surprises that continue to surprise you when you're shooting that way 
Correct. Yeah, well, like me too, it's, it's, it's trial and error. Like sometimes you do something, you have something in mind, but you, like it takes a while before you, you see the final image and then you look at it and, oh, this is not what I, what I was thinking, but it makes me think about this other thing. And then you just keep exploring and... Yeah, and it, it gets even more complex when we, well, on a different in a different way. When we shoot outdoors, we shoot only with one or two cameras, which is technically much simpler than with the, the 360 degree rig. But but then you add to that the natural um, aspect, like the weather, uh, the landscape, and the, the way mosquitoes. clouds are moving, the mosquitoes, <laughs> the the cold, everything that complexify the the experience of creating, <laughs> but also that ends up being part of the image that we create because it's part of the experience itself. So we try to incorporate that. Right. Right, 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 right. It's cool. I dig that. I mean, and that's, that, that's the, the organic nature of all of, I mean, it's the same thing when I do films, you, you spend all this time being technical ahead of time. You do a lot of planning, you do a lot of processing, but then you open yourself up to, what is happening in the environment around you. And I think when I first started, that stuff was annoying to me because I was like, oh, fuck, because I was so hyper-focused on what my plan was and how my plan was happening. But as soon as I uh, allowed that to become part of it, as soon as I started to appreciate that, uh, you recognize in your work the effect in a positive way that all of these uncontrollable natural elements have because you're discovering things that surprise you as the creator, which I think is really fun and exciting about work. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, I, yeah, I, definitely. I, here, I love it when I Can talk to you guys and then it gets dead silent right after it. <laughs> 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 I feel like what I'm saying We're is just like knocking you off your feet. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike, can, can we go back to the, the muse? Because uh, my, my my brain is uh, is having a hard time to compute that. Because uh, maybe it's a language thing, but the muse for me is more like someone who uh, is just more like an accessory. <laughs> maybe I don't have a good uh, no. Um, okay, so there's a lang there's a language barrier here. So for me, when I when I'm describing a mute, let me describe because I've I've had a few muses in my life, whether they're actors or whether they're photographers or whether they're just folks that I'm teaming up with on the back end. What, uh, what a muse to me is, is, is somebody that brings the same level of precision and passion to your work. You guys both have an understanding and almost like a romantic involvement with the art where it suddenly becomes like a romance with the work where it's the time disappears and you guys are so lost in the time and you guys are so hyper-focused on creating something beautiful and, and just the, the pleasure that comes from it and the euphoria that comes from creating uh, doesn't happen with everybody. There are folks that I've shot that I've got in front of the camera. I'm not going to mention any names, but get them in front of the camera. It's like, this is a fucking job. And this is a lot of work for me to even get you on the same page. As, as me and the people that you work with that you don't have to do that, that just instantly get it and that are bringing things to you. That's the relationships that, that, that stimulate actually take the work to the next level. 
you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So when I say muse, that's what I'm talking about. Does that make yeah, more sense? Of course, with, with this, this description, I'd yeah, say we, yes, because this is what we do. This, this is so true to uh, the way we work and we don't film everything, but if you'd be here in the desert with us uh, during those long, warm nights, that's the exact feeling we have. It's so, it's so fun to be out there just by ourselves when it's quiet and we can play with the, the blue hour and then the, the Milky Way, the moon, the stars. Wow. Yeah, and, and I think a, an important point to what you're saying that I want to emphasize is that both of us and in those cases, that's those relationship uh, that you had, it's probably the same. It's like everyone is um, like we're in it, uh, not for the, uh, yes, for the art, but um, what, uh, I forgot what I wanted to say. Shoot. <laughs> No, but I it's mean, like well, the intention. We'll the intention is to be at the service yeah. of the art itself, and not to yes. the individual or what it what it brings to the individual. There's kind of a selflessness uh, and a generosity um, of everyone involved, and this is where magic happens. I think. Yeah, I mean, and you must feel that as a dancer. To, uh, have you always been? Uh, like a solo dancer? Have you worked in companies? Have you worked with other folks as a dancer? Have you done stage productions and stuff? A little bit of everything. Uh, solo dancer, but mainly uh, freelancing for other companies. And as dancers, it, this is mainly how we approach creation. It's uh, mm. It requires a sort of a selflessness. It's not about one dancer. It's about the piece. It's about what we are trying to um, construct and build with the piece. Um, so, so yeah, for me, it makes sense also to bring that approach to creation, uh, in my mm -hmm. collaboration with Eric. Um, so it's really like, a we meet, um, somewhere in the middle. Mm. And when do you feel the, when do you feel the flow state? What is it? When you are getting your body in the in the proper positions, is it just the energy that you're getting from Eric as you're shooting? Like, when do you start to feel completely lost in the pieces? Hmm, good question. I, I feel like it varies a lot, but when we shoot outdoors uh, in deserts, or for instance, we we leave for long hours, we'll be maybe sometimes up to eight, nine hours in the field. Mm -hmm. um, in the middle of nowhere. So there's uh, this kind of immersion in nature and um, I need to stay still a long, for a long period of time in silence while Eric um, is multitasking, running from me to the camera. Uh, <laughs> and it's not a straight line. I'm not going from the camera to Kim because otherwise you see my footprint. So I'm always running the long loop. Uh, yeah, so he's very active and I'm kind of, it's almost more like meditative. Mm -hmm. um, so in those long nights uh, when we don't talk and there, there is this um, notion of kind of losing track of time mm. and just, yeah. Yeah, which is the total opposite to a night shooting in the snow yeah. where I will be shooting for just 15 minutes instead of hours because it's, it's too hard. But then 
the euphoria we get after that uh, because you know it's so it's so cold and, and you yeah. know what she's wearing when, when we're outdoors and uh yeah when it's cold uh, it, it's super hard but then the the feeling of satisfaction when we're done uh, and then we could can go back home and eat something warm <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the, there's there's this really interesting thing that happens on film sets too where um, it requires so much time and energy from everybody. And oftentimes, you know, if you're on like a movie set, these things can go 15, you know, 16 hours. Sometimes mm -hmm. you get lost in this exhaustion together and this creation. And, and I think that, uh, creating and finding work requires you to be hyper-focused and almost overly driven to sort of push your way through all of the things that are trying to stop you from working, whether it's weather or scheduling or things falling apart or gear not working the right way. And so you're pushing your way through all this different stuff. And so you find yourself going on this sort of emotional journey of frustration and then euphoria and then uh, crashing again. So it's you, you form these bonds with people. And it, especially if it's, you know, there's a specific bond that happens with your team and your crew, if you have crew that's working with you. But there is this bond that happens with uh, the subject that's in front of the camera and behind the camera. And, you know, when I was shooting photos full time, I found that I got my best work. And it's weird to say it this way, but I got, I found my best work when I, f when I mentally fell in love with the person that was in front of the camera, because I felt like I needed to become obsessed with them because the audience, I would have to be finding the thing that I loved about this individual and capturing that so that the audience would fall in love with that individual. But the, it was an important step for me first to get there and to get to that point where I'm like, this is what I love about this person. And sometimes the romances become so intense, so intense. It's not like we're going to get married. It's not like we're going to go off and have children. But you you find this like human fucking bond that that comes from just sharing and being so connected. And especially if you if you get it immediately with somebody from nowhere, someone that sort of walks in and off the street, and then suddenly you you find this connection. It's magical. It's it's like the it's the best romance that you can have in your life artistically. Do you guys feel that way? Have you ever felt that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and therefore, like, uh, because if you're if you don't feel the way you feel as you were describing, you you cannot um, like show the 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 best of this subject, yeah. like what you yeah what you are seeing, what you want to enhance. Um, and I do think there is a very strong bond in the intensity of the experience that is shared. There's something about it, um, be it on set or be it like um, in life in general, the, the stronger the, the experience that is lived between two human beings, the stronger the bond. So there's, there's something like that also that happens um, in creation. Sometimes that is magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's fascinating when you see it on film sets, right? Because there's this bond that happens like as a director, anybody that I have in front of my camera, they become characters, obviously, but then they also become like, like family to me because I'm mm -hmm. spending so much time with them. 
I'm spending so much time with them as we shoot it. But then in the post-production of a film, I'm with these people for a year at least. And I'm examining everything as I, and I'm sure Eric can speak to this. I'm examining everything about this individual, every frame, the way they move, the way their body moves. I would, there were times when I was shooting people as a photographer and I would call up uh, some of my subjects be like, this is, this is mole on your back that you might want to go see the doctor about. Because <laughs> I've, I've been <laughs> staring at this thing for so long and it looks strange. You might want to go look at that. Because you, you're, you're so 100% hyper-focused on everything about this individual to find that obsession, to find that thing that that is worth showcasing to an audience. And so then that connection becomes so strong and it, it doesn't surprise me where – um, you know, you hear about these actors that f that form relationships afterwards, and they they form romantic relationships. And when I was a younger photographer, I think I, I my second real relationship was with one of my subjects. I ended up falling in love in real life with one of my subjects, and I was with her for three or four years after that. So mm -hmm. there is this bond that happens that really triggers primal emotions in in both folks, and it. it, it it's it's wild to sort of make your way through as a human being. Do you do you mm -hmm. guys feel the same thing? Yes, and we it's it's, it's more than this uh, because we well, we live together, we travel together, and it's like we review everything together, and then we talk about how we can improve. Like our discussions at night are like, okay, that color of tube could be a little bit improved if we do this and that. So, so it's, it's a big part uh, of our lives, but I'm listening to you talking and I realize that we have such a different experience because you're so used to big, uh, big crews with, uh, with the film sets. I don't have this experience. And actually if there, sometimes I hire someone to film what we do, most of the time it's just came and I, but sometimes I hire someone. So someone's going to film us while we're working. And I know that my brain is not as free to perform oh, <laughs> because I have this other human element to think about. Like, is that person comfortable? Is there something I can do to help? And I feel like I'm not able to perform as well. So I really need to be just me and Kim to be at hundred percent. You have that totally extreme different experience being on set with like, team of 40 people or even mm -hmm. more yeah mm -hmm. more than mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> talk to me sometimes. about that yeah i mean but i mean, i understand that i totally understand that and i've been in both places right i've been in the situation where it's just me and a subject and i've been in a situation where it's me and a crew and it took me a long time because when you start when i started it was just me and a subject maybe somebody else and it took me a long time to find that comfortability um, when you get into larger crews and it, the, the environment changes uh, with you as the artist, because you're right, you end up becoming uh, a leader and a father to a whole other group of people. And so what you're trying to do, what I try to do when I cast my crew is I try to, to cast the right people around me that I have some sort of personal relationship with, or if I've never met that person more so than technical talent, I'm often looking mm -hmm. like, can I connect with this individual? Is this someone that I want to have beers with after 15 hours of misery? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> so shoot, important. Be you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah because yeah. in, in the end, like... Jump in there. What were you saying? It's not the technical aspect. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> now, there's a delay, so that's what's happening. So, yeah, you're right. It's not the technical oh, okay. aspect. What is it for, what is it for you, um, Kim? Yeah, I think the human connection is is ultimately what is the most important thing because even if you have something that is technically perfect, but then I say the magic doesn't happen, but it's not magic. You know, it's it's that those connections, those um, moment of human experience that are shared in between the, the the team, the crew, or whatever. Like this is intangible, but I I'm pretty sure like I know it's felt in the end result um, be it a mm. film or an image um, so if it's technically perfect but you don't feel anything then what is what is like the depth of the value uh, of the creation maybe then it depends like I'm 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 more of a, an audience who likes to like feel things more than see um like more than nerdying on on the technical stuff <laughs> so I, i and i guess this is different for everyone right yeah no but but it makes sense for you and it it, it it makes sense that your brain should be in that place i would want that from you as a director i would want you to be there because when i at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good my fucking technical stuff is it just doesn't like i could shoot an image that is out of focus and and shaky but if you're feeling it if you're projecting that a human connection that human emotional bond with the audience you're doing all the, that's what I'm there for that's why I'm shooting like the biggest thing that I think most photographers forget is that at the end of the day all that matters is what's in front of your camera not how you shoot it not how you light it, not how you do any of that stuff. You could shoot an amazing fucking photograph with your goddamn iPhone. And the, the thing that's hard about that is that there isn't an app, there isn't some class that you can take that teaches you how to connect with a human being and teaches you how to be empathetic and teaches you how to be have the ability and the confidence within yourself to allow yourself to share with somebody else, to give them the confidence and the inspiration that they need to share with an audience. That's the most important thing, from my opinion. And Eric, you can completely disagree with me, but that's my per my personal opinion when it comes to shooting anything. And, and out of all the images, as we're talking here, I'm just scrolling through your Instagram. The thing that I find the most striking about your stuff It isn't the fact that you guys have a hundred cameras that are circling around you. That is like a great way to get me in, right? But if you guys had a hundred cameras circling around a car and we, I would only be able to look at two or three of those and, and then be like, okay, here's the gimmick. We're done with the gimmick. I think the, the thing that keeps your work from being a gimmick is that there is this emotional connection and emotional curiosity that I have when I'm looking at Kim on screen. So I think that the blend of you two really gives the, the work the longevity that it needs. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, totally. And the fact that we document what we do brings the, that connection yes. with the, with our audience. Otherwise, you, you might just think that this is all made in Photoshop, especially the uh, the things we do outdoors. Like we could do that in Photoshop, I guess. I don't know how we would do that, but other people were, were just thinking that this was just uh, post production. But the fact that we film we film the process from the front, from the side, sometimes from the rear side, it makes the audience come with us on these trips. Yes. And they see that it's real, there's something authentic about this technique. And this is how we grew up a, a large following of people who actually tried this technique. Seven years ago, when we found about these long tubes, we were like, oh, that's huge. There's something in there. Are we keeping that for ourselves? Or are we going to teach it? And of course, the, the answer was, okay, we're going to teach that right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and now uh, maybe 20,000 people have tried that seven years later. Well, that's see, this is what's all, <clears throat> this is something that I've, that I've constantly, because I do it on the show. There are two different types of people out there. There are the types of people that are mining for ideas and they feel like once they find an idea, whether it's using a tube or whether it's using a specific camera or a specific lens or a specific way of processing your images, they want to keep that secret because they feel like that is the most important aspect of their work is the fact that they've found this sort of technical thing, which I, I completely argue that that's the wrong way to think because if all your success is based upon you using a specific piece of equipment a certain way, then it will die eventually. Eventually, that will, will run its fucking course. If you're a true artist and you guys, the work that you guys are doing together transcends that because the human element, the interaction between the two of you makes it something special, makes it something that no other two people can identically replicate because of all of the human error and all the human experience that is tossed into the recipe that is your work you know i don't think we could say it better than that <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks you are hired thank you <laughs> well I, mean, I, I know it sounds romantic but that's that's it man like at the end of the day um i'm gonna get hired because of my life experiences, because of my communication skills, because of the way that people feel when they're around me. That's why I'll get hired. If you want some guy that's going to shoot polar bears uh, in the Arctic and you have to jump out of a helicopter to go shoot them, don't call me. I'm not the guy for that. I know guys that are really good at that. <laughs> and that's what you get hired for. It's not the technical work that you do. And especially in a modern day where the learning curve is so much shorter than it used to be. It's not like you have to get, spend like thousands and thousands of dollars and go off to a photo school or go shadow some photographer for, you know, 15 years before you can have your own clients. Like you just go on YouTube and go, how do I do exposures? How do I do light painting? You can do all that just by going on YouTube and spending a day with a camera and, and teaching yourself the basics of what it is doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. And then I think a lot of folks forget that the thing that you're not going to find on YouTube is the connection. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part, you know? But you, you said that you're a good communicator, and that's the first thing that I noticed when I started to listen to your podcast. Actually, I'm, I'm jealous. You, you can clearly tell that I'm, this is not my best skill at all. I don't, I'm not a good speaker, and I don't, uh, I don't work a lot to improve that. I should. But for you, it seems so natural. And how, how big of a part that is for you? Like how, because you've been doing that podcast for like five years. So, yeah, yeah. and you, it looks like you enjoy that. But this is, is it how you also do business? Like, do you get business because you're, you're good at talking? You, your podcast uh, gets heard by the important people and, and that's, Bring you gigs with filmmaking? Sometimes, sometimes. Okay. I, I mean, like it, the it took me a while to realize when I was younger that my job is a very social job. It's mm-hmm. it's and you know you would think that it is like, hey, I'm I'm a Tim Burton film school kid, and I you know I'm like super quiet, no one gets me, and I'm in my little space, and like I have to create my work. That's really great if you're doing work like painting. And if you're doing work that is just you and the tools and you're, you're doing your thing, then you can be reclusive and quiet and do all that. But as soon as you, as soon as your, your paintbrushes go from being bristles and a stick to being a 45 year old grumpy grip who just got into a fight with his wife before he showed up to set, you have to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how okay, to be okay. empathetic. You have to learn how to communicate five tips to become a better communicator with Mike Pitchy. Five Start tips. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. I like it. You're putting me on the spot. First, 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 first tip. The most important one. Learn how to listen and learn how to listen without taking a breath to say your thing. Like if you're listening to someone speak, but you're inhaling a breath because you want to let your thing out, you're not fucking listening. And the byproduct of listening is that not only are you getting the communication from the individual that you need, but it also slows your brain down. So it makes you think twice about what it is you're going to say. And I think some of the worst communication that I've done is when I don't think about what I'm going to say and I open my fucking mouth and I say something stupid or I say something insulting or I respond immediately to an emotional response and I yell and I like I've done that before. I've I've failed on sets where I have and I regret I've talked about it on the show multiple times and I'm ashamed of it, but I've had a shoot where I was throwing chairs and I saw the effect that my emotional tantrum as a young filmmaker had and how it, how my energy very much like a dancer does how my energy just destroyed everything more than the thing that fucked up did my response to that fucked it all up. And so when you see that you understand the power of the position of being a leader and what that requires from you. So communication is incredibly important, but the easiest way is to listen and then have learn, teach yourself empathy. Like understand, like, why is this person nervous right now? And then if you understand, the third thing would be, if you understand what 
everybody has a conversation to get something. Everybody does something selfishly one way or another, and not in a negative way, but selfishly, they're doing something to get something out of the situation. So if you can understand that, and you can sit there and go, okay, what does this person need? What is this person doing this for? Understand their intent, then it will solve all sorts of conflicts for you. Okay, continue. No, <laughs> it's just mining. I feel like <laughs> well, I can, hear, I, can get, I, I can hear you taking you notes. The, <laughs> yeah, I, I can get you for the fourth one because you're you're talking mostly about communications between two persons. But when you're doing your intros, like everyone is very captivated. Your intros are just you talking to your microphone, and it's very captivating. So it's not that a, a relational, yeah, uh, communication. Yeah, what I end up doing with that, it's very strange. It becomes a meditation, and this is something that mm -hmm. happened. When I first started doing the microphone, if you go back and listen to the first episodes, I'm a lot different because, uh, you know, I was just trying to get used to my voice. And when I do the intros, I have headphones on. So my voice is different. It is in a different chamber. It's in a different space. I can hear my voice. And so when I'm talking, like right now, when I'm giving you guys these, these tricks and these techniques that I have for this, I'm reminding myself And so when I'm talking on the microphone, I'm usually talking to myself. And I, like I'm finding the most insecure version of myself and communicating with him. And so when, they, they, when I'm trying to be inspiring to myself, when you hear me talk about this stuff. Hmm. Interesting. And, and, and I think that I learned this when I was doing, uh, when I speak to crowds, like sometimes I would go to events or conferences and they would have me speak to folks and you're often by yourself up there alone. And this was one of my earlier things that I would do where I would sit there and go, okay, look, if I had somebody, if I was in this audience, what would I want for, for myself? And so let me talk to that guy. Let me try to find what the version of me that wants to know what I need to know. Uh, is looking for. And so I, I'm oftentimes speaking to that person. And then I think I'm annoying to be around. <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend will tell you this. She gets, she gets mad at me all the time where she'll come because she's also a photographer and a director and she'll come to me with problems and she'll go, what do you think? And I, I, you can hear my voice change where I suddenly have podcast voice and I go, well, what do you want from this? And then and she goes, could you just shut that off? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rhythm that kicks in. And, and I, I mean, I think that there's a, the, I get a lot from inspiring people and I, it, I get a lot of satisfaction from it emotionally, but then it also, is constantly reminding me like, mm -hmm. oh fuck, that's what I was doing this for, right? And me telling you what to do, I don't do that. And sometimes when I'm, when I'm giving you guys advice or talking to folks, I realize that I haven't done that in years. And I'm like, oh, this is for me, dude. <laughs> this, is to, <laughs> this is to remind me to get off my ass and do shit. So you, I think you hear that when you hear it in the intro. Yeah, and also I noticed that you have uh, quite a long music musical intro mm -hmm. uh, with 
no visuals. It's just like the visuals are in our heads. <laughs> and I don't know what's supposed to be here for, but it's probably not something that would be recommended for uh, people doing podcasts or YouTube videos because of the, uh, the, 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 the watch time is very important for the algorithm and you're way beyond that. And that I found it super cool. It makes you, it gives you time to just sit Settle. and mm -hmm. you know that you're going to enter something uh, interesting. That's, Do you think about it. that? Yes. Just, that's the, I, I mean, yeah. is it intentional? Yes. So with anything, you're just trying to set the mood and settle people in. And so mm. I know that if you're going to click on a podcast, I know that you're committed to a long period of time. It's not like creating a 10-minute clip on YouTube, right? Because most people that are on YouTube, it's a passive thing. We get on there and you're like, hey, I want to I teach myself how to make a fried egg. And so you get on YouTube and you watch this video and most of the time you're skipping past the intros, right? And you're like, just get to the fucking egg. And so you, you, you're scrolling through it. You watch it and you go, okay, great. And then YouTube knows that you've hooked yourself up to their umbilical cord. And so then they're like, hey, but before you leave, hey, check out this thing on fucking like puppy dogs. And so now you're lost in this hole of like just like mindless sort of content that comes at you. It's different with a podcast. You have to make a decision for it. There isn't an algorithm that's cramming it down your throat. And you're sitting there going, uh, the running time on this is two hours. All right, I'm going to listen to this on the bus to, on the way to work. I'm going to listen to this in the car. I'm going to I'm going to get on the treadmill and start working out. I'm going to listen to this. And so, with the music being as long as it is, it's like, hey, I appreciate the fact that you're here for the long run. So let let's shut the rest of the world off, and let's let's do that with the sound. Let's do that with the music, and get you in the right place. And welcome to my house and. And the, the power of not filming it is that when that music is doing, is that's taking, to you, taking you to what you think is my home, what you think is my world, which will be more powerful than if I, you know, took out a fucking GoPro and uh, shot myself here in my boxer shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's magical, man. And that's the purpose of it. It's very intentional. Yeah, it's, the way, it's a way to direct the attention of the, the person that is listening slowly, like to almost, yeah, settle into themselves to be available to receive the, the, the podcast. So I think, I think it's a great idea. I, you're hired. You do such a great job describing <laughs> that. <laughs> um, well, look, I want to keep talking more, but I can't. This has been a solid episode. I really appreciate the both of you. And I, I'm, it was, uh, such a wonderful uh, conversation, I think, about passion and about collaboration. Um, and uh, I appreciate the two of you just taking the time this morning and being here. Thank you. Thanks, it was a pleasure. Mike. It was great. There it is. I apologize for cutting that episode off too short. I felt like I was feeling it. I was feeling it as we were talking that I could have taken that even deeper and taken it even further. But I had the stress and anxiety of staring at the clock going, fuck, I have to get on a Zoom call. So um, I will try to get them back on the show. Would you guys like that? Send me a, a DM. Tell me to get Eric and Kim back on the show. And uh, we'll try to make it happen. I think that they're an interesting duo 
I love the work. And I, I mean, I could have done a whole episode just with Kim. I love her fascination with uh, body language and body movement. And definitely, here, let me find it too. So I make sure that I'm selling her Instagram as well. Okay, so it's KimHenry.Dance. I'm looking at it right now. Her stuff is so gorgeous. I, I, I have nothing but respect for someone that has the ability to be so selfless when it comes to modesty, when it comes to their body, and it comes to, you know, really putting their, putting a lot of physical wear and tear on your tool, right? Can you imagine that if every time you shot a camera, it just took a little bit away from you physically? That's crazy to me. The amount of stretching, the amount of yoga, I'm sure she does to be uh, able to do this stuff and the amount of stress that it puts on feet, just feet alone. Um, but she's beautiful and her work is gorgeous and the energy, there's this one shot in particular that I keep coming back to. Um, there aren't titles, so you have to scroll down to find it, but it's like she's jumping in the air in this desert and, she, and she's been captured as she's tossing sand and the sun is behind her and she's a complete silhouette and it is just beautiful and it just exudes from her fingertips to her toes it exudes storytelling i love it she's really great um i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode i hope you feel a little bit of the romance that is involved with it and there's a lot of really good tips and tricks in here um for how to be successful as a photographer it's a tough fucking business these days it really is and you have to be hyper focused you have to be hyper-specialized and hyper-focused to be able to charge for your work, right? Because most people aren't paying shit. And, uh, you know, it's you feel like every time you're dealing with a client, the client has the same mentality they have when they go to a used car lot. You know what I mean? So you want to make sure that what you're doing is you're the, you're the most professional person. You're the leader at what that is um, because then you'll still be able to make a, make a living in this business, really more than a living in this business. And I'm sure Eric is very successful with what he does. And also take note, it isn't just about taking the photographs. They're telling stories, they're doing behind the scenes coverage. All of that stuff is oftentimes more important. Sometimes it's more important how you package the work than it is than the work is itself. Like the work's gotta be great, right? You have to be able to follow through. But I think the packaging of the work is more important when it comes to getting work. Can I say work anymore in this? Work, 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 work. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are staying healthy. Hope you guys are staying inspired. And as we push out of the slow dead period, which is January, and we start things to start pick up, uh, things start to pick up. Jesus, dude. Um, I hope you guys are doing something exciting. I hope you guys are pushing for something exciting. What are you shooting? What jobs do you have? You know, did you get cast in that thing? How did that go? How'd that casting session go? Oh, you didn't get the part? What did you learn when you were in the session? Did, did they give you an opportunity to perform? How did you? How did that small audience respond to you? That's cool. Did you guys try any new recipes? Have you cooking anything new? Reach out to me on Instagram. Tell me what's up. Thanks, everybody. Uh, you know the deal. I'll be back next Tuesday. More episodes, more fun shit, more stuff to talk about. I'm not going anywhere. This is your last chance.
After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. 